Hello everyone, my name is Austin Glines, and welcome to Doxa Podcast. Formerly known as a Revolution to Lead podcast, we've done little name change, brand change, and we are looking forward to what God is going to do. So our question is simple. Are you looking for meaning and purpose in life? Well, the good news is, is starting on the day Jesus walked out of his own tomb, there is a new life that is offered to every human being. However, why does it seem that this new life that Jesus promised in the scriptures is unattainable by us today? Well, doxa is the Greek word for God's tangible presence. God's doxa has been revolting against chaos and darkness to bring us life from the very beginning of creation when Adam and Eve chose chaos over God's perfect order. Even though humanity chose chaos over God, God didn't leave us to suffer the consequences. But God has been overturning our chaos to order and offering us new life. And that is the conversation we enter into today. Everyone's my friend Jim. <laughs> he is the owner or founder of my favorite coffee shop on the planet, Refuge Coffee. So, Jim, I love your story. So, just selfishly, just just take, just give us a little bit about you. Just you know, growing up and then launching Refuge. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> grew up right here in Fairhope, Alabama, and. Um, Coastal city right here on the on Mobile Bay, and uh, typical typical kid around here that you know played around on the bay and and um, enjoyed summers and on the water and um, in a in a in a great little city that it's kind of um, sheltered from a lot of the the rest of the world in a way. <laughs> And, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I've always struggled when people say the best place to raise a family. And part of me goes, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. And and then the other part of me goes, but that part about us being so sheltered here and isolated from so much reality sometimes makes me question if it could be called the best place to raise a family. Yeah, and, you know, I totally agree. I was listening to one of my favorite um, podcasts is the Bible Project. Mm. And the thing they're actually talking about in the Bible is the, is the city. Mm-hmm. How the place of the Bible in the of a city in the Bible is actually a theme. Mm. Yeah. And they kind of start talking about it, and they're like, yeah, suburbs are great. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, we almost picture it as Eden. Yeah. We almost picture our little getaway of... You know, I looked it up because I was curious. So technically, Fairhope would be a city now. They're over the 20,000 people threshold mark. Yeah, yeah. So, but they're just kind of went in that conversation of, you know, why a lot of Christian families don't live in cities and why mm-hmm. you see kind of the political views of cities mm-hmm. is because we have this romanticization of the suburbs, of, or yeah. of the, yeah, just out of urbanized yeah. areas mm-hmm. so no i can totally agree that yeah. that yeah we just have this very yeah like june 6th fairhope kind of had its first pride night mm-hmm. 
and people were, you know, and that the reaction showed me how far, how sheltered we, and it reminded yeah. me. Yeah. You know, okay, our little town's grown exponentially. Yeah. But yeah. we still got a long way to go. Yeah. Before we even are close yeah. Yeah. to reality. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, yeah, grew up here and um, went through the teen years and ended up kind of becoming a wild man and uh, didn't really know where I was going. And a rebelliousness started to come out of me that I didn't even know existed. And I was like, what is this from, you know? And um, just going against everything that you could imagine and um, being caught in that moment and trapped and honestly just like hitting a wall, you know, after about six to seven years of doing my own thing and, and, and chasing all that the world had to offer and in trying to maximize pleasure in every way possible. Um, I hit a point where I was just like completely depressed in that and with no way out. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, it, it felt like death, truly. And um, and I remember just these little for about three years, you know, some people can point to this like one specific God moment where they they come to Jesus and it's like January 5th, you know, right. two o'clock in the mm -hmm. afternoon. Well, for me, it was like this three year period where the Lord was like breaking in in little waves, you know, um, yeah over a period of time, almost like he had to chip away right. this darkness around my mind before I could even wake up. I was like right. coming out of a coma to me. It, it literally felt like that coming out of a coma. And, um, and so it was about in my mid twenties that, um, he just really broke in upon me by his grace and mercy, um, using several different avenues of people to speak into my life. Um, for sure, the, the Brownsville revival had a big impact on my life. Um, went down there and basically got hit over the head with a two by four. And uh, the Lord really used that as a big, big waking up in my life. And um, yeah, so from there, uh, I moved to San Diego. I was teaching tennis out there. And all the while I was just like praying, Lord, what am I supposed to do with my life? Because I was like, at this point, 27 years old, and I still did not have a clear direction for my life at 27. And it, you know, I, I at the time thought I was gonna be teaching tennis. And I knew that wasn't it because I had a burning in my heart for missions. And I didn't know what that was supposed to look like because I was so young in the Lord. I just didn't even get what that was supposed to look like. And then I heard about uh, a group called Youth with a Mission. And um, after seeking the Lord for about a year in San Diego, I uh, just distinctly remember like being on my face on the carpet praying for the Lord to open a door. 
And uh, next thing you know, I'm in Hawaii with Youth with a Mission. And so I went over there and did a, a training program with them. And, and then fast forward, our director asked who wanted to go to Kansas City to plant a YWAM base with them. And I'm like, I'm in, you know, and like 20 something, 30 something of us went to Kansas City to plant a YWAM base. And uh, so I spent about uh, six years up there. And uh, ended up going to ministry school up there and whatnot. And, and all this time, I had felt from the time that I came to the Lord, a community coffee house was on my heart. Yeah. And so I was like, uh, just basically following the Lord in the everyday and, and doing the, the, the ministry schools that he had put me in and waiting for him to break in on that because I didn't have a clue of how to run a business. I still don't consider myself a businessman. So I'm like, how is this going to work? You know? And, uh, so long story short, after spending years of every single day with my friends in a coffee house and talking about it and dreaming about it and praying about it. Um, the Lord opened the door for my wife and I, Claudia, to open, open a coffee shop in Guatemala. Did you meet Claudia it, in Kansas City? Nope. We met in Guatemala. Okay. you met. I was okay. down there studying. Um, this is fast forward a bit. I'd been in Argentina doing a journalism school with YWAM. And then uh, I wanted to learn Spanish deeper. So I ended up in Guatemala okay. at a language academy and we met there. And so we were originally going to open the shop in Kansas City. Right. Uh, but the Lord had other plans. So we ended up in, in Guatemala, opened up there in 2010 and basically stayed open around 10 years until... Mm -hmm. COVID wrecked that. So, right. <laughs> uh, but, um, and then, you know, from there, uh, we ended up up here. Yeah, let's say, but 2015. Yeah, there's about a five year overlap, right? Yep. Where so we're going Guatemala and Fairhope. Yep. We're going back and forth for a bit. Right. Uh, good about bit of the year down there, and then a good bit of the year up here. So, kind of back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, an overview. So, what, why San Diego? Where, you know, you, you, you flew the, yeah, so yeah. from Alabama to San Diego. Yeah. Wonderful question. And honestly, I, I think it was just a time in my life where, where the Lord plucked me out of the place that I was. Right. Because everything I associated with living. In, in, in the Alabama area had to do with my pre-Jesus days. Right. And looking back on it, I have the sense the Lord just said, I'm going to get this guy out of here for a while because I need to give him some new lenses on what kingdom life is. And I want to separate him from everything that he was connected to for okay. that season. And so... I went out there and I literally, it was, it was such a weird time. I was there for about a year and I lived my life in coffee houses, church. I, I didn't even know what I was doing. I would, I just wanted community. I didn't know any believers. So I was like, 
man, I don't have, all my old friends are gone. Who am I supposed to hang out with? So I would, in the day, go to Christian bookstores, coffee houses, and at night I would go to any Christian meeting I could find, literally. If there was a, a college group, I was there. If there was a, some speaker in town, I was there. I, was just, I just lived that for like a year in, so in San Diego, and I taught tennis in, in the day. Right. So there was no, you just decided San Diego? Exactly, because, there, okay, so I'd gone out there to get my certification to teach tennis uh, at, a, okay. at a place out there. And I was like, cool spot. Yeah, I could see teaching tennis out here, you know. And so, and uh, at one point, my buddy Matt and I talked about maybe teaching tennis out there one day, but he never, he never made it. Man. So uh, <laughs> it, it just ended up being me out there. <laughs> nice. But. No, that's, you know, and it's super funny that you went from Alabama to San Diego. Yeah. Because, you know, the connotation that California has on it is not a retreat for a spiritual revival. No. Even like then, like, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think if anyone was like, you need to go get closer to Jesus. Yeah. Like you live in Alabama or California. Yeah, exactly. I think I'll go California. I think that's yeah. what made close. I don't think that was ever no. something that would have been thought. And, and to be sure, I had just come out of a revival atmosphere here because Pensacola is right. going on. So I go out there, and in my mindset, you know, as a new believer, everything that's happening in revival is supposed to be happening in all the churches. So I'm going, man, it's dry out here. You know, I'm like, why isn't anything happening? You know, right. But at the same time, there was a beautiful thing going on in California just because it is is wild and crazy as people, you know, see California as being and liberal in the churches. I found it quite different. It's quite, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with some of the Calvary Chapel movement and a lot of good, really conservative churches out there that are rock solid in the word and i needed that it was it was really it was a blessed time in in that area so there's some the lord has his remnant in california for sure he does no two of my favorite pastors on the planet just anything that Mm -hmm. they produce i'll try to listen to mosaic uh-huh. With Irma McManus. McManus, yeah. Yeah, but man, yeah. yeah. He's he's the vet over there, and then you got the newbie with a chat of each playing the hip church a couple years over in L.A. a couple years ago. So yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Both of them all, yeah, have always That's admired. Awesome. So. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've always. So I guess uh, we can go back. When you say conservative, what's your definition? Because that's a very loose definition. So I just want to hear yours. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it depends. I mean, I'm not obviously talking about political, but there was a really a conservativeness of holding to the word. I felt like I fell into some really good word groups of people out there that really had a high standard of of the word, you know. And uh, so sometimes you think of California of, of maybe that's where you're going to find some really strange, weird doctrines, you know, and surely it is, but there was just such a, you know, a, a, a good move of the spirit and the, in the word as well together out there. And something that I appreciated, 
people holding tight to, to doctrine in the word. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, so. I always like to hear, but yeah, no, that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, kind of with that, you know, more and more, I think, <laughs> as I listen to your story again, our two stories are almost run parallel in some ways, because you went to, you know, you ended up going to a ministry training mm-hmm. school. So, was the plan ever to be, like, anywhere at all um, in, like, I guess, traditional full-time ministry? Was that ever a thought of yours? So, I never had a plan to, like, be, like, for example, on on staff of a of what we would call... Um, I guess your typical traditional church. Right. Um, I wanted, I, I, I felt like, what could it look like to have a group of people, the church, in a space rubbing shoulders with each other six days a week and rubbing shoulders at the world at the same time. So the church being together, doing life together, and being moved to evangelism to the person next to them, where doors could open in conversations through relationships. Because I, going back to my hunger for community, you know, especially noted in those San, that San Diego moment, where I was literally trying to go everywhere believers were. Wherever believers were, that's where I wanted to be every single day. Right. And so I'm like, I can't live without this. We were created to do life together. And I'm thinking about in Acts when it says daily they met together. And, and so it was not enough for me to just show up at a service. I, I, I went to the services, but I was like, now what are we going to do? How are we going to be together now? I, that was great. You know, we heard the word together and, and, and we need that. But we also need to fellowship together and do regular life together to carry one another's burdens, to hear each other's hearts and pour into each other and receive a pouring in from, from one another. And that was my heart behind the, the coffee house. Um, and... Um, I mean, the product, I mean, in the end, you know, it's just a drink, right? I mean, it, it could be... You make a phenomenal drink. <laughs> well, we, we, we did want to, you know, do it well. If we were like, we're going to do it, we might as well have a good product too, oh, yeah, you know, fair. right? But the main thing is we, we wanted the, the togetherness, you know? And uh, so that was the heart that we had dreamed and talked about and... My wife and I were praying about for years and waiting and waiting. And uh, it felt like a long wait, but yeah. it it needed to be, you right. know, so. It always does. Yeah. Yeah. God, I want to say slow. God is way more patient. Mm-hmm. That's a better way to say yeah. it. Yeah. Even with our lives. You know, yeah. I think, I mean, for one, all of that. I think coming to refuge, I mean, I was Zach, my best friend on the planet, 
since I was in first grade. Wonderful guy. Right, yeah, wonderful guy, yeah. He <laughs> works here still. But he's, yeah, we kind of started coming, I think, pretty much right after you opened. But it was funny, mm -hmm. Zach was exploring coffee a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, we were where everyone else was still drinking coffee at Fairhope at Coffee Loft over mm -hmm. there. And I acted like I liked it, and I never drank it all. I just never told anyone, because everyone else liked coffee. And I was like, okay, I guess I don't like coffee. Yeah, yeah. Then the, you opened 2015. What month in 2015? Ooh, good question. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing August. Okay. I, I, for some reason, I feel like August, August? September. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it was around late 2015 mm -hmm. in the 2016. So, yeah. Yeah. It had to at least be early 2016, because I know it was I a full so. two years mm -hmm. that I spent almost, <laughs> I was, my mom would have, no, I was one or two places, she said. I was going to be at the church or at Refuge. <laughs> so it was. Well. So it was. We she knew where you were. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but no, just, I think really Refuge and interacting with the different people who came to Refuge, the different baristas and yourself. Mm -hmm. That's where my theology began to change of what in line of more of what you were saying, because now I feel like churches are beginning to pick it up a little bit more, you know, mm -hmm. more progressive in a good way. Yeah. Areas and more people who are aware mm -hmm. that times do change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I think that's a good way to say it. Um, and realizing that you can do the Great Commission. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of being a part of a church staff. Right, exactly. So no, that's really where I think my eyes began to be opened was being able to come to the refuge every day. And really, like, during 2016 to 2018, before I moved to Birmingham to go to college, I can say I learned more about scripture and refuge coffee mm. on South Bancroft mm. <laughs> than in a church building, mm. simply through genuine conversations with believers. Uh, and amen. people like yourself who were just, who, we went to different churches. Yeah. And, you know, Martin Luther King said, Sunday morning is the most segregated time. And he, you know, he's wow. talking more about color. But I even think of ideas. Yeah. Like, segregation of ideas and, I mean, of course, theology and yeah. different types of people. Yeah. So, that segregation is really a, what cripples. Mm. the body yeah so places yeah. like refuge are again like just see and realize and you know you opened me up to different sources and authors and scholars and that opened my eyes up like okay wow we're in trouble but there's little lights of hope yeah like refuge coffee that i think can change which will change the tide mm. and i think more and more yeah so just how did was that always something that was in you, or was there like a certain person that kind of led you there? Because I can say you led me there. So was that just? But again, I was saved earlier in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that put me at a disadvantage yeah. almost because yeah. I always saw. Yeah. Even though, like, really, when I dug into Jesus, it was outside the church. Yeah. It was just alone reading my Bible. Yeah. But still, I think a lot of faith life was still connected to the organized. Right. Organization of the church, not the people of the church. Yeah. I, a lot of people come to mind for me. I mean, well, that's a, that's a, 
how to condense that. Um, you know, I, I, so many phrases come up to me and so many people come up to me and seeds planted over the years and really thankful to have been part of such a strong community um, in Kansas City. Um, you know, I got to live with one of my professors, John Wesley Adams. He was named after John Wesley. <laughs> but uh, amazing guy who lived all of his life, well, from age around 17 to when he passed away about a year and a half ago in a wheelchair. But, I mean, this guy was behind Claudia and I all the way. Right. I mean, received us into his home. Um, every time we sat at the table with him was an encounter, you know, with the Lord and, and, and with him because he had such a discipleship mentality that there was no wasted moment. Right. Like when you would go into his house, he is either you're either going to look to the left and he's in his study typing away on some commentary Zondervan or somebody asked him to write for or whatever, or he's in his room in intercession um, or he's sitting someone at the table talking about uh, revival and God. Uh, so I'm looking at this. I just saw this is a, a book that he actually wrote right here. God, Fire, and Revival. And true scholar, talk about somebody who really gets the word and the spirit. Right. His emphasis was on the word and the spirit going right. together. And um, But anyway, he had such a big impact on my life in ways that I can't really put into words right now. It's It's still... It's still ongoing, you know, and um, and several, several other people the Lord put around me that I don't know how we make it without other people in our lives. Right. Other people. I mean, I'm sure you could name people you could think of right now that the Lord marked out to speak into your life. And they may not have even known they were speaking into your life, right. but the Lord put a love in their heart for you and it's almost as if they were speaking prophetic words without even knowing it right. can you identify with that oh no absolutely yeah and then, i mean i've already referenced it but like you were huge so just, i mean things we've talked about i mean just like i said just really how i've navigated life God. has come oh. through what i learned at refuge well wow. as of 15 or it was 16 17 yeah 18 year old just yeah. like because, I mean, a little bit, you know, I just, from when I got saved at 12, just in my room reading the Bible. Yeah. Always had a love for it. Yeah. However, the church I was in, I love it. I loved it. It's a phenomenal yeah. church. Yeah. But, and phenomenal pastor. However, the intentionality and, like, the vastness mm -hmm. of the word never was mm -hmm. open to me like mm -hmm. i guess the scop more academic scholarly side mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but with the mix of the still the spirit empowerment in it yeah if that makes sense yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, I grew up in a very Pentecostal yeah. uh, church, yeah. Assembly of God church. And yeah. very, for them, it was more of a very conservative word base. Right. Kind of like you were talking about. So yeah. there was some of that there, but it was still like I was never open to the sources and the people yeah. and the different thought, the different views. Yeah, sure. I guess to say. Yeah. Of theology and God until mm -hmm. I came. Mm. And began to spend time at refuge and have mm -hmm. conversations. Yeah. So, no. So I remember. I remember those days when when you were coming there, and I I what I distinctly remember is sometimes that we prayed together, and specifically one time I'm seeing we were like at the back of the shop. <laughs> yep. By the two chairs back there, and I remember when you were praying. I remember just, I can see it now, like the passion that was on you and the fire and it's still on you. And I remember Claudia and I talking about that, you know, in essence saying something's on that guy. And I mean, that is true. We saw something was really on you that we, we just, you don't see a whole lot in the youth culture around here. And right. so it gave us great hope after we spent that time with you and prayed with you. And I was like, yes, the Lord is raising up fire blazers in this city, you know, marked out ones, you know, um, forerunners with holy, passionate love, you know, and that's right. kind of what you spoke to us, you know, and, uh, clearly remember that um so yeah no. that we would never despise or, or, or never uh, lose sight that when we go out of our way to speak to people pursue people that the lord is moving more than we know in those times Right. 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 No, absolutely. That's so um, great. Uh, no, that's so great. No, I just got settled for a second. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because now I can definitely attest to it. So, I mean, that's why. Yeah, it just blew me away because there, there'd be the intimate moments like that where we would yeah. pray together in the back of the shop. Yeah. That'd be like, and it, I mean, we still, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're in the back of the second location in Fairfield yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having this combo still. Yeah. So like just, again, conversations that totally I can recall. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. So, and that's why I think this is just, I mean, that's why I know this is so valuable. Yeah. That more and more we see, I guess, the church get in the way of the Great Commission almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That over and over again, we can see I guess pastor after pastor fall flat on their face and yeah. in, and in consequence ruin Jesus's reputation mm. because yeah. we've got so caught up with this show. Yeah. When just the way I see you live out the Great Commission and how there's how refuge is built is something that I've you know if you're aware of it you it's that's why it's becoming the that's becoming the front doors to the church. I guess that's mm -hmm. the best way to say it. Mm -hmm. that the mm -hmm. front doors are no longer four walls. Yeah, yeah. Of a 
building called the church. Yeah. Yeah. It's four walls of a coffee shop. Yeah. It's four walls of a grocery store. Not a grocery store. I mean, just any local. Could be. I mean, sure. yeah, it could be. Yeah. yeah, if you got a local grocery store, <laughs> yeah. like, I, yeah, gr yeah, I guess yeah. Greer's is a yeah. local grocery store that we have in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I'll, I'll add. <laughs> the the no walls of a sidewalk and yeah, the no walls of down the, the street for sure i you know talking about express expressions of church uh, i'll never forget um just a, a group of people that i came up and became friends with in in kansas city and uh there was this um was it, you know four five six seven eight of them or whatever but they truly lived the church in the city, but they had no name on them, no identity. They were just people who truly loved Jesus and followed the Lord. And I would see them from time to time around in the city and... Um, no leadership structure, although I'm not that, of course, we need that. But it just showed me that it is possible to live a communal life on fire for the Lord, in the word together, worship him together, and have no walls or buildings or name at all. Right. And... <clears throat> And I just kind of would watch this group and, you know, they kind of, you know, obviously there would be a stronger leader there that kind of emerged to the, the front, but he took no position or anything. Right. But they were just people who loved Jesus and they would get in their van and go around the city and minister to people wherever the Lord would lead them. Um, I remember one time they went up to New York City just to sleep on the streets with the homeless Right. And then they would come back and they're just doing the gospel and full time, you know, right. and we're never on staff at a church. And. But they were they were really real, you know, and right. it was it was a beautiful thing. And so I, where is that going? I'm just it gives me hope that. The Lord is restoring what the church is supposed to look like. Right. And it doesn't have to be about a building and a title. Yeah. And it's about him. It's about the king sure. of kings taking his rightful place. Right. And yeah, and I kind of see this. You know, a lot of people use the term deconstruction in a bad way. Hmm. But how did God discipline the nation of Israel? Mm-hmm. By legit deconstruction mm, of an mm -hmm, army. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> of an army yeah. called Babylon. Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways, deconstruction is not bad. Yeah. Because God always gives a chance for rebuilding. That's right. That's right. And if we rebuild the right way. Yeah. And we rebuild focused on Him and with Him at the center. Yeah. Then it becomes something beautiful. Yeah. Amen. And I think that's why. You know, I kind of mentioned the podcast, The Bible Project, and they're going with the theme of the city. Mm -hmm. And 
it shows that. Because you see, again, we picture the ideal as a garden. However, when in the book of Revelation, what does heaven coming down, what, what is it, Jim? Mm. What's heaven coming down? <laughs> what, what's the picture that's given there? Yeah, yeah. A city. Yeah, yeah. A city. So yeah. again, God takes what... Jerusalem. In the first time in the Bible, <clears throat> when it's mentioned, it's bad. Yeah. City is bad. It's with Cain. He builds a city after yeah. he kills Abel, and God says, I'm going to put a mark on you so people are discouraged from killing you. Yeah. He says just, you know, that's Cain's chance to trust God. Mm-hmm. But instead of trusting God for protection, Cain builds a wall, mm-hmm. which is how mm-hmm. cities were defined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then it wasn't by 25,000 yeah. people. That would be... Um, that would be Chicago or Tokyo for us yeah, today. But right. it was simply, is there a wall around a group of people? And that yeah. was a city. Yeah, yeah. So it was more of saying, okay, this is where I'm going to put trust in me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the easiest city picture of saying that city is equals bad mm-hmm. is the Tower of Babel. Yeah, yeah. Where they build a tower up to the sky, a city up to the sky, and yeah. God decimates it and right. spreads them out. Yeah. And a lot of people use that picture of why a city always is bad. Mm-hmm. But again, it goes to the, even mm-hmm. Isaiah, yep. Isaiah even uses city language. Mm. So even before the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where I'm going with that is just, God always takes even what might have been, I mean, you can just go to the end of Genesis and it almost mm-hmm. gives us a foreshadowing mm-hmm. of what's come. Mm-hmm. What you meant for evil. Yeah. God is for good. Yeah. That God takes human innovation. Yeah. yeah. Even though it might have been a root of, it might have been caused out of sin. Yeah. It's still innovation. Yeah. It's still building this, and God's going to use it for his good at the end. Yeah. That's good. And I think that's why we're seeing these huge moves of God now in cities. Yeah. Like, I think, I mean, a lot of people just attribute it to media coverage, but really it's not mm-hmm. even that. It's, the churches that are hurting the most are the ones not in cities. And it's not because yeah. there's not more people there, and it's not because their cities have more people. Mm-hmm. They have a more adverse yeah. Yeah. <laughs> environment. Yeah. But it's because they've already gone through this deconstruction, mm. and they realize what matters. Yeah. They realize yeah. that the real church is the coffee shop. Yeah. So kind of like what you're saying, this bubble of Fairhope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I grew up in it all my life as well until I the college. Yeah. And what I began to see is, and it started it just with refuge, and then in the city it kind of got amplified because I yeah. saw more examples of it. Yeah. Is that the church will never and has never meant to be a organization. Yeah. It's always meant to be a group of people yeah. who believe that Jesus is king, mm. who mm-hmm. rose from the dead. And it's coming back. Yeah. And at the moment, we're filled with the presence of God. Yeah. To prepare the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So just. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. So yeah. It's yeah. Just, that's good. And, you know, I and I think more and more we are starting to see that where, you know, there's been kind of this in the church, like an attractional thing where we try to attract the city 
into the church right with arrows pointing towards the church where it's like the lord's starting to turn those arrows from the church the inner courts of the church and point them outward yes and the opposite direction right and of course it's great to bring somebody to church but what would it look like if we thought hey let's get out of here and go out there where they are right and bring community to them right meet them where they are go to where they are but the but the world the city's dark well greater is he that is in you than he is in the world let's go right and we go with that authority on us I like what somebody said one time, I can't remember, but it's not so much that the church has a mission, but that mission has a church. Yes. And meaning that God is a missional God. He is on a mission. He's the sending God. He sent Jesus to the earth. He sent the apostles. He's a sending God, and he has sent us but much of the church does not get the idea that they have been sent. They think there's just a couple maybe on the mission team that's being sent. So we need to create this mi- We need to create this arm of the church that has a, a, a little mission here so we can send them somewhere. Whereas we were all created to be on mission, right? Yes. To live on mission. And... I just have a sense that the Lord's going to start to just shift that little by little as time goes on and we near the end of his to his coming, as you said, to where we won't need to create necessarily like special. Right. We're going to be on mission. We're going to get it. Right. So. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Just the like, yes, there will be. I'm not saying there won't be mission trip. Yes, yeah. there will be. Yeah, but it's but it's not going to be we're going on the mission trip. Now I'm back to my nine to five job. Oh, yeah. my mission's over. Get back to business. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I feel like that's why. I feel like where I kind of started to see where the church is trying to replace that is through serving on Sunday, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. sadly, how a lot of churches will get their volunteers is. God has a purpose for you. Mm-hmm. You need to come up. You know, God, you're great at something. God mm-hmm. has given you spiritual mm-hmm. gifts. Mm-hmm. All true. Mm-hmm. But how, how do they say use them? Yeah. Come hold a door open because you're yeah. nice to people. Yeah. Come serve on the kids team because you're yeah. a good teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Come help people get plugged in on a team. Or yeah. lead a small group, which yeah. is great. All those things yeah. are great. Yeah. But instead, what if in those classes we were like, okay, hey, you're good at this. We're here for your practice. Mm-hmm. This is pregame. This is practice. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a new believer. Mm-hmm. You wanted to connect with the body. This mm-hmm. is a safe place mm-hmm. to work out your spiritual gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And just like exactly. muscles, eventually, yeah. Yeah. you'll be able to use those. Yeah. And eventually, you'll be able to be comfortable using it on Monday at yeah. work. Yeah. And because you practice it here, yeah. it becomes natural on Monday, right? Tuesday, Wednesday. But we just say, no, come, your purpose is on Sunday. Yeah. And we lock it in this box. Yeah. And it's like, if we would just unlock the door. Yeah. 
and unlock the box yeah. and say, hey, no, 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 take this gift out mm-hmm. on Monday. Yeah. Just like you're saying, that's where everything would change. Yeah. And affirm them where they are. Yes. Because in general, you have the sense that the people who come to church and work in the world, if they do start to become ministry minded, their general thinking pattern may be something like, well, you know, one day I'd like to, you know, maybe make enough money, save enough so I can actually go into ministry. Yes. So what they're saying is, is where they are is not ministry. They're kind of class B ministry people. And the people that are at the church working in the office or wherever are class A ministers. So they want to retire from the bank so they can go into real ministry. Right. We need to get better at affirming them where they are. Yes. No, we need you right where that you are. Yes. You are a class A minister right there in the bank. Yes. Burning in front of the world. That's where we need you. That's so good. Yeah, I mean, that's and, why Jesus is our high priest. Yeah. We don't need a high priest because he's our high priest. That's right. And now we are a kingdom of priests. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people get mixed up. You know, um, just finished up a book that I'm releasing, and that's where I kind of put it is we confuse the sacrificial model as a hierarchy, which mm. in some ways, mm-hmm. yes, there are ways that it's different. However, the worshiper was involved in the entire process of the sacrifice, which was revolutionary mm-hmm. at the time for Israel, where they were. Mm. That they actually got to cut up their own animal, skin it, and the only thing they did not do is set it on fire. Mm. And then go, you know, on the Day of Atonement, go into the Holy of Holies and splatter the curtains with blood. But the whole process, they were involved. They got got to encounter God. Mm. They stood at the altar as a representation Mm. of, I am sacrificing this animal. The animal right now is my bridge to God for this brief moment. Mm. And he lives among us. Mm-hmm. So here's our connection. Here's the representation that God is among all of us. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I, I think what really helped me understand this is a recent conversation I had with Rabbi Stephen Silberman. Uh, he's a rabbi at the Achavas Chesed um, Synagogue in Mobile. And I kind of was asking him, and I kind of, you know, I already wrote kind of this part of the book, but I kind of put it for the brief moment they were connected. Mm-hmm. And they stopped me, and he goes, no, that was, God was always there. Mm-hmm. God was always in the, that's where I disagree. And I was like, okay, no, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. There's why to believe God was always with them. Mm-hmm. Or Christianity, where we intensify that, now God is in us changing our hearts, that he's yeah. in us, not yeah. simply with us yeah that he's now living on the inside of us right. writing the law on our hearts transforming yeah. us from the inside out yeah so even then it wasn't oh let's just go to the high priest and go to the leader and trust him yeah i mean that's why god constantly is flipping power structures yeah in the old testament yeah flipping the order of the first mm-hmm. using the seventh son to become the king and not yeah. the first yeah and they were using Jeremiah as the prophet, not using someone in the court mm-hmm. of the king. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So just so many times we see this and it's yeah. to show us. Yeah. God has never intended for the powerful and mighty to have exclusivity to it. Yeah. And I think. Well said. That's yeah. where. Mm. Yeah, no, that's just where I've really tried my creation, even while I have this, is to go to the people who try to write content in a way that explains that. Yeah. And do it yeah. in a way that the traditional-minded Christian wouldn't ever think of. Yeah, yeah. You know, I kind of, this is why it's called a revolution to lead. Mm. And kind of the language I'm beginning That's the, the title? Yeah, the title okay. of this podcast is a revel and the book is a revolution okay. to lead. Okay, nice. Simply because... Yeah. The movement Jesus started, mm. really the movement God started mm -hmm. <laughs> with Israel, yeah. was all about him invading the universe yeah. and overturning the current power structure mm -hmm. and completely flipping it upside down yeah. in a way that we can never imagine. Mm. And then Jesus adds gas on that fire yeah. and it makes it available for all of us. Yeah, love it. And so you're... you're how far through this book? It's done. It's being edited okay. right now. Okay. So, so, yeah. Dude, I'm excited about that. I so, can't, yeah, you got to yeah. read the last chapter. You better it, go ahead and I'll... save me a first copy. I definitely so. I got you. <laughs> definitely. That's but, awesome, yeah. man. So, wow. but anything else just kind of on that topic, Jim? Just on your heart there? Yeah. I just super hopeful, man. I, I don't, you know... It, even even the points that we we talk about with struggle with what things look like locally in the church, we know, you know, from a place of humility because we're part of it. And I think we're on another point, you know, we don't ever want to be like, thinking that we have the answers and it in, in a place like the emergence found themselves 20, 25 years ago or whatever it was where they seemed to know everything that the church needed to do to change and went into a place of, of just really some weird doctrinal right. errors right. with pride. And we're not coming from that place at all. Oh, yeah, for sure. And may the Lord correct us if, if we ever get off base, but that our heart would be for the church in the city before him and that he is going to revive us. I don't... I get the picture from your language that you do believe in an end time revival. Uh, you can speak to that if you want. Uh, I mean, there's... Meaning that some people would say it only gets darker from here. Whereas, yeah, wouldn't you yeah. say that it? you also believe that things get lighter for the yes. believers in a good sense? I think you can't ever... So I think we separate... Persecution and light. Yeah. But as we see in the book of Acts, that's never the case. Yeah. 
So not in the way a lot of people explain. It's either all the Christians die or we become slaves. Yeah. Or Jesus is magnified. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. never. Yeah. I'm in the middle. Yeah. Okay. I think. I mean, the, in, we're blind if we don't think there is persecution. Yeah. Going on now. I mean, yeah. we can go everywhere else in the world, but the West. Yeah. Christians are for real persecuted. And I'm not yeah. talking about someone says something mean to you for your Bible verse you posted on Instagram. Yeah. Sorry. But like, past there's the Bible is locked up and locked away. Not just yeah. in public schools, but yeah. in ever. Yeah. Like, yeah. people sneak Bibles in still. We're yeah. not past that. Yeah. People are shot in the forehead yeah. when they are found worshiping Jesus. Yeah. And teaching Jesus. So, like, so we've separated this in our mind if it gets a lot worse or it gets a lot better. Yeah. The church is never, I think what a lot of people call better was the last 40 years. Yeah. Of where Christianity was the main thought process for everything. It was mm -hmm. the standard, the moral Jesus taught is how yeah. the world should live. Yeah. And that's what people see invading culture looks like. Yeah, yeah. When the church has never shined, when it has been institutionalized, mm -hmm. it's always shined in adversity. Yeah. So I think, so I think in the midst of our persecution, mm -hmm. we'll be the brightest. Yeah. So it's a mix. Would you, so you would be in agreement, for example, if I say the darkness is going to get darker and the light is going to yes. get lighter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That that's basically what I mean when I say revival. Yes. I believe that our finest hours are ahead, not behind. Right. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And the enemy is going to be rampaging like never before at the same time. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. Just when they, yeah. Just when people say you, yeah, talk about the Book of Revelation. It's always. We're all gonna have chips in our forehead, and yeah. we're not good. Or it's yeah. gonna be, yeah. Jesus is magnified like yeah. it was thirty years ago. Yeah, no, no, exactly. No, no, no. It's not gonna be institutionalized. Yeah. It's not gonna be institutionalizing Jesus. Yeah. And it's not gonna be. We're all gonna be put into slavery and right. be burned at the stake like Nero yeah. did. Yeah. It'll be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Could we? be extremely persecuted at some point. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yes. But yeah. again, that's when we always shine the brightest as the church. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mentioned that because I don't think that it, listening to Christian radio, sometimes I'll put it on in the van and there's some wonderful stuff in there. Right. But there's the reality is there's certain programs that leave you with no hope. Like when they're talking about end times and yeah. the day that we're living in, like they're mostly, most, mostly on those specific programs talk about the darkness getting darker, but they actually don't mention a lot about the light getting lighter. And that concerns me oh, because God created us to be people of hope and God is a God of hope. So that leaves me to believe it does get better right. for us. Those who cling to Christ, it does get better. It doesn't yes. mean it's absent from persecution. Right. 
But he sustains us in persecution. Yep, and that's where I think we get confused as we look at the... When you say something like, in time revival, people think, oh, that means the church is not going to have any issues. Yeah, no. <laughs> that means God looks at... God doesn't look at our external circumstance as much as yeah. he looks at the position of our hearts. Yeah. The position of our attitude. Yeah. And really, I've been doing a lot of research and about the kind of spiritual process of how does someone like go from saved to becoming a Christ-centered person. Mm-hmm. And people normally get stuck at, there's generally the most, four steps kind of in this framework of researching. There's from exploring Christ to growing in Christ to close to Christ, Mm -hmm. Christ Christ-centered. Most people get stuck in between growing in Christ and Christ-centered because they don't understand that what we were talking about. It's not about institutionalizing Jesus in your life and going to the right programs and going to the right church and going to enough Bible studies. It's all about the position of your heart and it's yeah. always about your it's about your attitude it's yeah. about to get to that next step of christ-centered mm. it takes knowing that you'll give it everything up yeah it's not yeah. just putting making jesus a large enough section in your life mm. it's making mm. jesus all of your life yeah that he yeah. consumes every area of your life yeah and yeah. that's what i think that's why we have this separation of, oh, it's going to be easy to worship God now. It's not going to be hard anymore, yeah. eventually. Yeah. No, God doesn't see it like that. Yeah. But if God consumes your life, it's not going to matter what's going on on the outside. Exactly. Yeah. Because he's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He, I just think he, he wants to fully be enthroned upon our hearts. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's Jesus's, you know, it's cheesy Christianese, but Jesus is Lord of all mm-hmm. or not at all. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's king or he's not. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. He, you will legit march into the darkest alley. Mm. You'll march, you'll be a Christian 24 7. And live this life we've kind of talked about of going into the world and engaging the darkness. Yeah. And being the light in the midst of the darkness. Yeah. Or you won't. Yeah. Yeah. It'll never be easy. Yeah. But if you have the understanding that Jesus is sitting on the throne. Yeah. We're just waiting for him. The best way I've heard it described is N.T. Wright. We're in the pre-inaugural period. Yeah. Jesus, use it in our democratic West terms, Jesus has won the, per se, election. (laughs) He just hasn't taken office fully yet. Yeah. We're in the weird time in between November and January. Okay, yeah. All right. (laughs) That, and, but (laughs) he still has, but the only difference is where that, you know, all analogies break down when we're talking about God at some point. Right. And all words break down. Yeah. Where that breaks down is, he still has full power right now because he's still yep. creator and he's still mm-hmm. the king. Mm-hmm. So that's where that analogy breaks down and there's probably a bunch of other places. Yeah. But it just, it's to show that this is it. Like, he's already yeah. won. 
Yeah. There's no question that Jesus is king. Right. And we just have to treat him like that. Yeah. And that's going to help that's us good. stay faithful in hard times and realize that nothing else matters. Yeah. But that our lives are lived in a living sacrifice. Yeah. Holy and pleasing to God. Yeah. And if, when that's the only thing that matters, when that's the only thing that motivates you, if that's your sole motivation, yeah. that's not going to matter. Yeah. If the President of the United States prays to the God of Israel, to Jesus, it's not going to matter if Chick-fil-A doesn't have a diversity manager. It's not going to matter. And, you know, you might not agree with things. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't talk about, just go somewhere else then. Yeah. Yeah. Don't comment on my post of going to Disney World. (laughs) Because actually, God speaks to me a lot at Disney World. Because there's more hope at Disney sometimes than there is in churches. <laughs> so you might not agree with everything, yeah, but you yeah. can't argue yeah. that, you know, where I show people a lot of times where the world does have hope, yeah. is these things, you know, and then, oh, you know, we'll just stick with Disney. It's positive. They're, even though it's wrong, mm-hmm. the thing some things they produce, they're at least, they think it's love. Yeah. They at least are aiming towards something positive. Mm-hmm. It's not like someone's sitting there like, huh, how are we gonna corrupt the children of the United States and the world today? Yeah. They think they're helping. Yeah. They just don't know how. Yeah. Like, it's not like they're sitting there like, okay, how are we gonna ruin the world today? Yeah. Like, that's not the conversation. Yeah. It's, it's genuinely, they're aiming for something positive. They're just confused. Yeah. Because they don't know God. Yeah. And we're expecting lost people mm-hmm. to know saved because we're thinking people still should have the 1980s view of the world. Yeah. Of that Christian standards and everything should be the only thing. That yeah. should be the thing that governs the world. Yeah. When yeah. the main splits in Christianity came when the Roman Empire made Christianity the empire's religion. Yeah. That is when we, we can see the major splits of Christianity yeah. happen. Yeah. So we could actually say institutionalization is actually the worst outcome we can imagine, not our persecution. Yeah. yeah. Seems extremely backwards. Yes. Yeah. But when you think of our history, that's what happens. Yeah. When we're institutionalized, we screw it up because we're human. Yeah. When we're persecuted, we don't got nothing to lose anyways, and yeah. Jesus is really the only thing that matters. Yeah. And then we end up with a sort of um, a prop-filled faith yeah. Where, uh, hey, we're good now. Yeah. We've been, you know, institutionalized by Constantine and we, we're good. Yeah. We don't have to have relationship with God really because yeah. we're covered. And that's why I think the Lord wants to restore the first commandment to first place. Right now, he may be number 11, 12, or 13 in the body of Christ. (laughs) Right. But he wants to be number one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right. He is our first preoccupation. Right. And we cannot love each other until he is in that first place. That's so good. And sometimes we fall into the place of where we we get all these mixed up, you know, even 
even starting with the second command, well, we love people well. We, we do really well with loving people. And the next thing you know, a community is an idolatry, and, and that's out of whack. And that's where this started. If we look, actually, yeah. you know, we could I'll just keep rocking. Where, where the argument is now in the church is how to love people the best. Yeah. Do we let them just sit in their sin? Or do we at yeah. least point it out? Yeah. We don't got to be mean to yeah. them. Yeah. But, you know, I hate, we kind of use the excuse, well, love the sin or hate the sin. Yeah. Well, sometimes, now... People's identity is wrapped in their sin. Yeah. So if you hate the sin, you hate the person. Yeah. So you can hate sin, mm -hmm. but you can't hate just one person's sin. Yeah. Because that's when we start, we're only hard on homosexuals. And we're like, okay, drunk's not that, drunkenness yeah. is not that, that bad of a sin. Yeah. Gluttony's not that bad of a sin. And yeah. that's when we start picking and choosing because yeah. of that phrase. Right. Like that, but I hear people... What we have to do is know we love all people, and what love really is is what Jesus did. Yeah. Hey, yeah. where are your accusers? Yeah. A woman yeah. who was brought out, dragged out of her house, yeah. naked, yeah. and thrown before a crowd. Yeah. He begins to write in the sand. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, it doesn't matter what he was writing, but yeah. they left because yeah. it convicted them. Yeah. Where are your accusers? Yeah. yeah. It's not... They're not here, Lord. Yeah. Only you. Yeah. Then mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to accuse you. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. a lot of times when we say love the sin or hate the sin, yeah. we like to accuse yeah. because, oh, I hate the sin. So yeah. we got to tell them I hate the sin. Yeah. No, love them. Where are your accusers? Yeah. Make them safe. Yeah. Sit back, have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think with Christian... And that's why, honestly, I think it's almost, going back to our, the beginning of this, the hope of the, honestly, I think it's harder to make a huge impact mm -hmm. as an organized church mm -hmm. because of the connotations and the expectations of Christians mm. of what church should do for them mm -hmm. than a business owner who follows Jesus. Yeah. Because there's no expectation on you. Yeah, yeah. The only expectation you got to roll with is what Jesus expects of you. Yeah. And to do something, make a good product. Yeah. You love the people by making a good product, being nice to them, being mm -hmm. having good service, you know. Mm -hmm. But the only Christian expectation on you is what Jesus expects of you. Yeah. You're just able to live that out. Yeah, yeah. So I honestly think it almost frees us up because there's no, you know, like I said, the expectation of not the lost person, of the Christian. Yeah. Of yeah. what church has to look like. Yeah. Good. Yeah, we um, we desperately need a revelation of what we look like to God. Right. We can't love him the way he wants to be loved, deserves to be loved, if we don't first understand his love towards us. Wow, that's so good. The, the idea that he delights in Austin, that he actually delights in you, that he delights in me. If you, I think if you ask many people the question of, does God love you? They would respond with yes, but I think it's kind of a, what they mean by loves me 
if you pressed it, it would mean he tolerates me. Oh, wow. Do we really get that we have a, a God who rejoices over us in singing, even in our weakness, even even in our mess ups? I'm not God doesn't to tolerate rebellion, but he does understand our immaturity and our weakness. Yep. And the idea that when we don't get when, when we don't understand the way he looks at us in our weakness, we tend to go in and out of the penalty box, so to speak. We mm -hmm. put ourselves there. We put ourselves in timeout. We put ourselves right. in the penalty box with every little immaturity or um, or weakness that we have in our in our human flesh. But when we understand we serve a God who 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 looks at us and basically says, yes, you mess up. Yes, you're immature, but I still love you in your immaturity. Mm. And then he moves our heart and we're like, wow, I'm 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 his little boy. Even though I stumble and trip up, I'm still his little boy. Right. And uh, I get to crawl up in his lap and I get to run to him in my weakness rather than away from him. Right. And when we have that, he tolerates me mentality. We tend to run away from him oh, in our wow. in our weakness instead of towards him. And. I really think the Lord in these days is going to give us a revelation of, of starting with his love over us. Right. Paul prayed, you know, uh, that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, revelation, seeing him more clearly in the knowledge of him, of who he is and the knowledge of the God who loves us. Right. May deliver that to us at a deeper level. Uh, Paul saw something to pray in, in that, that uh, there's more revelation to be had of the way he looks at us. And um, it's something that I pray regularly for my family, but, um, and that has to do with restoring the first commandment at the first place. Uh, we we love him because he first loved us, right? Right. Wow. So that's great. Well, Jim, will you pray for us? Oh, we'll, we'll yeah. This absolutely. Up. Yeah. Lord, thank you so much, God. I thank you for um, just real fellowship with Austin today. Um, I thank you that um, we can just hang out and uh, encourage one another and be strengthened, Lord, because we know that iron sharpens iron. And that through interactions like this, Lord, uh, we are strengthened in our inner being, Lord. In, our, in, our, in that spiritual muscle inside, we are strengthened in our inner being, Lord. And I ask that you would do that right here and for everybody that's listening, God.
I ask that you would pour out the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that you may know him better, so that you may know the one that desires you, so that you may know the one that pursues you, so that you may know the one who comes after you and that loves you with a love that's unquenchable and that he delights in you, that he sings over you, that he rejoices over you, even in your weakness. And if anybody's listening that hasn't uh, come to that place where they've turned from rebellion, God asks that you would break in amongst them, Lord, and that you would show them that you're the loving Father who forgives all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen.